This morning we make our way um, to the final chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And as you make your way there, we're going to be there at the end of Matthew 27, coming in chapter 28. I want to maybe just give us an idea to frame our, our message around and begin to wrestle with. The reality is for us in this room, most of us or probably someone you love at some point has been pretty sick. And at times it can feel like maybe that they're not going to get better or you're not going to get better and you've wondered. Um, and then a marvelous thing happens. You're able to call a physician, uh, your family doctor, whomever, and to get in to see them. And they begin to take in analysis of things that are going on and they, they pronounce a diagnosis and then they hand you that prescription or they hand you that date of surgery or whatever it may be. And in that moment, the reality is maybe nothing's changed, but holding that piece of paper, having that date ahead, looking forward to that moment, it, in that moment it gives you some hope. Like that this isn't always going to be. Like this moment is a season, it's a time, but Lord willing, there's hope that something beyond this moment, something better's coming on the horizon. The reality is, again, your situation hasn't changed, but it's just holding that piece of paper, maybe driving to the pharmacy to get that prescription filled, or again, maybe it's upcoming possible chemo or radiation treatments or that surgery or whatever it may be. It's just a moment that there's hope. And I think given all that we've seen in Matthew, we need some hope. I mean, we've, I'll just be honest, it's been gloomy. Like, I, I, I haven't really wrestled maybe at this, like, pace ever in my life where I've just spent this much time slowing down, walking through a gospel preaching. I'm not, I've never preached through a gospel before. This is the first time. And, man, it's the pace of just sadness and darkness over these final days of Jesus' life. It's been, like, weighing on my soul. I mean, to see him there in the garden and, and to see his best buddy sleeping on him when he needs him, to see him crying out, Father, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. To see Judas show up and betray the Son of Man with a kiss. To see his hour of most need and his buddies who promise, I will die with you, are running out the door. To see a moment of him there being falsely charged before Jewish and then Roman leaders. He's unjustly beaten and then he is on that cursed tree. And then there's darkness. And in that darkness... He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into that moment, there's this hopelessness almost. We wonder, maybe like you wonder, and maybe it's you or the person you love and care about who's sick. Or maybe that addiction rules them. Maybe you wonder if that relationship will ever change or that person in your life, if they'll ever start really loving you and genuinely caring for you. But guys, the story isn't finished. Chapters 24, 25, 26, 27. I mean, there's some hard stuff, but there is coming a chapter 28. It's not over yet. The story's not finished. It's not over. There's hope. And listen, if today, if, if you don't hear this hope, then you might be like those two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, who Jesus shows up and they say to Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one we've lost our hope there's no hope seemingly but their hope listen wasn't what peter describes in his epistle when he says that we have a living hope 
There's a living hope. We need a living hope that can answer what? That could our sin and the curse of death actually be destroyed? Does death actually not have the last word? Do the people that I love who have died in Christ, will they be raised? Will I actually see them again? Is there hope that I could live forever? These are the things that we're wrestling with. And into this moment comes Matthew 28 and the resurrection of Christ. Saying that death is not final. Because our brother has been raised from the dead. Death. Our greatest enemy is not final. It does not have the victory. Why? Because our elder brother, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has been raised from the dead. Today, our plan is to examine this resurrection account in Matthew's gospel. It's simple. It's smaller than most of the other gospel accounts. But Matthew provides so much importance to us. And so today, we're going to look at maybe three things. One is the declaration of the resurrection. Two, the transformation of the resurrection. And finally and sadly, the rejection of the resurrection. So if you would, as you make your way to Matthew at the end of 27 and 28, let's wrestle with this first truth. The declaration of the resurrection, the announcement that the resurrection has come. But prior to that, Matthew 27 finishes by giving us a little snippet that's going to help us as we come in in chapter 28. And I want to pick up beginning there. It's on Saturday, right? Christ was crucified. He was on the cross from about 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., we assume. He's died, right? He's buried, and so it's still Friday. The new day starts for them at sundown, all right? So Christ is buried on Friday afternoon. He's in the tomb. And now this is Saturday, and the story picks up the next day. So Saturday, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir... We remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he's risen from the dead. And that last fraud, it'll be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Pilate reminds them, right, that they have temple guards. And so he tells them, hey, listen, you've got guards, you've got guys, go take care of yourself. And so they do that. The setting is important, again, as we're going to see here in a moment, chapter 28. This kind of helps us understand a little bit what Matthew's going to tell us in a moment. But I think it's also a reminder of how futile it is to oppose God. I mean, man can't stop God. No man, no woman, no government, no military. No pope, no president, no preacher, no pastor. Not even your granny. Nobody can stop God. Satan himself cannot stop God. No one can. And this is just like maybe this moment where God just begins to dismantle humanity's attempt to keep his son in the grave. Listen to what happens beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, so now it's saying that was Saturday, now this is Sunday. No, after the Sabbath. Toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Maybe you've wondered, why do we come to church on Sundays? Why don't we go on a different day? This is why. 
This is why we as a church gather on Sunday morning. This is why you set your week calendar around this day. Because you want to remind your own soul, the souls of your children, the souls of your grandchildren, the soul's declaration to your neighbors as you go out and leave, as you pass others. You want an announcement to be made to your soul and the souls of others. There is a king who has come and lived sinless life, who was crucified, buried, but on the third day. On the third day. My God was raised from the dead. And I want you to know in a declaration to all that on Sunday morning, unless something absolutely terrible unfolds, I'm going to be with the church on Sunday. It's what's most important. I want my children to know it. I want my grandchildren to know it. I want my neighbors to know it. I want the community to know it. I want the watching spiritual beings that we can't see right now in the heavenly realms. We're making a declaration unto them as we gather here. That we believe in Christ crucified, buried on the third day, raised again. So the church has, since the resurrection morning, been gathering on Sundays. And I'll just be honest, I expect to see you here. If you're a follower of Christ, and this is absolutely what's most important, the blood of Christ that has bought your soul, I expect to see you. I'm devi- I don't have any of this in my script, but man, I feel compelled to share it this morning. Is it what's most important to you? Sunday morning, is this, is this, when the church gathers, do you plan to gather? Or is it, when I, it's convenient or I don't have other things blocking my schedule. Beloved, we gather this morning to declare that our God is risen. And when you're not here, we miss your voice. We need you. It's not the same when you're not present. So I want to compel you. Be here. Shape this. I can tell you, I, I I'm getting older. Somebody asked earlier, man, I, I, I'm 40 now, right? Over the hill or whatever it is. My kids have kicked the cart, right? I'm rolling down that hill. But I can tell you this. As I look down the horizon, I want my kids to know what's most important is the Word of God and gathering with the church and living for Christ. I want that legacy. Way beyond ball and pleasure and all that other stuff. Man, when Dad steps off the scene, I want them to know this was what my life was about. It was Christ and Him crucified, buried, and on the third day raised again. And we can make that declaration all we want with our lips, but man, we're making it a lot louder with our lives. Are you setting that example? Again, man, none of this in my script, so the sermon's going to last a little bit longer. I apologize. All right. So now we're back to it. No, after the Sabbath, verse 1, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Right, this reminds us of the previous earthquake we studied about last week when Christ was there on the cross. It says the earth shook and tombs opened and literally dead saints came back to life. This In this moment, this angel of the Lord descends and it's this mighty work of God unveiling the stone. Why? Not so his son could get out, but so that we could get in. His son has all authority in heaven and earth. God's flexing his muscles. This is the heavenly peck deck just being unleashed on humanity. In verse 3, look what it says. His appearance was like lightning. This angel appears like lightning. His clothing, white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like what, church? What's it say there? They became like dead men. Isn't that interesting? It's, It's ironic, right? I mean, these guys who are the living are supposed to be guarding the dead, but they become like the dead while the dead man becomes the living, right? Do you see, like Matthew is like, this is ironic, right? What a moment here. I mean, it's why we sing victory in what? Jesus, my Savior forever. 
man. But the angel said to the women, verse 5 of Matthew 28, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. In other words, you're not at the wrong tomb, ladies. Some people have set out that, that thesis that they showed up at the wrong tomb. Come on, man. Look what he says. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. An angel shows up and makes this glorious announcement saying, Do not be afraid. It reminds us, guess what, of the same announcement that the angels made back in Luke chapter 2. Right? And Jesus, as he's born, they show up to the shepherds in the field and fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. Right? You know the statement there. And he goes on, and, and then it says, A great company of heavenly hosts appear with him, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Guys, the peace comes. That declaration ultimately finds its hope and fulfillment in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is how we receive peace. That's what Mark read to us in Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we now have what with God? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what hope. What hope. Look what he says in verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Three times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus specifically told his disciples chapter 16 of Matthew, chapter 17, chapter 20, Jesus says the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem. He's going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He will be crucified. But on the third day, he will what, church? He will rise again. Now, at different times, Matthew lets us know. They don't understand. They're like, what, what's he talking about? Like, what's... But this is that moment. That's what, the, the, that's what the angel says. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Man, our greatest enemy, guys, in this moment, death has been defeated. This is the moment. He's not here for he has risen. The church for centuries on Sunday morning would gather and they would say, He is risen. The church would respond, He is risen indeed. So verse 8 says that after this announcement, they're told to go quickly and tell the disciples to go to Galilee and you'll see them there. It says, verse 8, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It's interesting, right, throughout this statement of who the witnesses are of the resurrection. Who are they here? Two women. Right, it's interesting and it can't be overlooked. Why? Because women's testimony in that day and time was not even acceptable in a court of law. That's how they were viewed in that society. Yet those are the very ones whom God sovereignly chooses to be at the tomb of his resurrected son. Now we might ask, does this make the story in some way maybe less believable? Nope. In fact, it does the opposite. Why? Because who writes up a story and puts uncredible witnesses at the account to give testimony to it? The answer is, somebody's telling the truth. 
Somebody that's telling the truth. You don't make it up that way. I mean, if you're going to make it up, you put the most credible people that you could have at the scene to testify because everybody would say, well, if that's what they said, then I'll believe it. You don't put people up that don't even have a, a test or a credibility in the court of law. Unless, again, you're telling the truth. And then in some way, in some great flip of irony, what it actually does is it makes it actually not less believable, but more. Because if you're going to make that story up, then you put the heroes in, not these ladies. And in this moment, verse 9, walks the resurrected Christ. I cannot imagine. Right? I mean, I, I heard it this week at a funeral. I can only imagine what it will be like. We get... I hear that old song. I can still hear my old daddy singing as a young boy in the pew next to me. Beulah Land. I'm longing for you. I can hear my daddy's voice. And on someday on thee I'll stand. I can just hear it. I can, it just resonates in my soul. This is the resurrected Christ. I can't wait to see him. Oh, I can't wait to be in his presence. Right, the song, I mean, I hear it to his knees. Will I find, like, will I be able to speak at all? I can only, I can't even imagine the presence of glory, the presence of the king who would give his life for me. This morning, man, mommy was in praise team, and those mornings, whew, they are rough at the Jesse household. Me and four kids. Mommy laid out the outfit, had everything iron, rocking and rolling, and daddy couldn't even find the outfit. Brothers were throwing articles of clothing and losing them, and it was chaos. And we got in there, everybody was yelling at each other and yelling at the dog. I was like, he didn't even do anything. And we got in the vehicle, and I said, guys, here's what I want you to know. This is not a day for us to stay at home. This is a day that we need to be at church even more. Why? Because we all are reminded in a great way this morning how big of sinners we are and how much we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. So instead of on your worst day saying, well, we ain't going. No, I think on your worst day is when we need to be here the most. Because it is a reminder how much we all desperately fall short of the glory of God. And there is a Savior who loves us not because you had the best day or the best week or your morning's gone great. No, there is a Savior who came and bled and died for you in the midst of your sin. His name is Jesus and he was buried and on the third day raised again. And these ladies fell at his feet in worship. And one day I hope and pray that you will too. Man, it's good news. Imagine for a moment today a knock at the door. And you go to that door. And standing on the other side is that dead loved one of yours. Maybe it's a grandmother, a grandfather, maybe it's a parent. Can you imagine for a moment what you might feel if you saw that person stand there? Can you imagine the shock? So these ladies were filled with, with, with awe, fear, and great joy. Can you imagine that moment, how the fear you might feel like? Whoa, whoa. What? What? They're like, touch me. It's me. Give me a hug. I mean, you, you, you smell them. You touch them. Can you imagine going back in the house? Guys, everybody, Come! Granddaddy's here. Come here. Come here. Hurry. I mean, can you imagine in that moment the, the fear that would strike you, but also at the same time the joy? Guys, in so much of a greater way, this is their Savior, the one they had hoped that would rescue them from their sins, and He is alive. Oh, what a moment. 
Man, as we hear this story, it's hard to imagine why, because none of us has ever seen somebody raised from the dead. At least I assume you haven't. As you consider this account of Christ being raised, let us not forget what this moment means for us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 all about the resurrection. Maybe it would be wise for you today, following this message, to go home, just read it, talk about it with your family. But Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that if Christ has not been raised, then the preaching today here is useless. And so is your faith. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say that if our Savior has not been raised, you and I are still in our sins. This moment is the declaration that we truly can be accepted by God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And where does that come from? The Scriptures alone tell us this great truth. Blessed be the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, as I shared last week at the end, what is our only hope in life and death? It is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. Church, death's word is not final. Why? Because our brother has been raised from the dead. What a moment of hope for the church. And that brings us to our second truth. The transformation of the resurrection. We've seen the declaration of the resurrection. As Matthew is telling us these details. And then I just want to maybe dive into a few of those a little bit deeper this morning. The transformation that the resurrection brings. The change that it brings in the life of the people. Look at me if you would begin in verse 7 of Matthew 28. That's what he says. The angel says to the women, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Jesus appears to the women and says greetings. They came up and take hold of him. In verse 10, Jesus says to them again, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. We mentioned earlier, but it's starling. It's the women that are there at the tomb. But so we don't think it's merely an accident. The angel and now Jesus tell them the same thing. Right. Listen, to their statement right here. Uh, of what he says, look what he says here, go and tell, right? And then look what he says, Jesus says further right there, go and tell. Some of you probably remember the, 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 the crusade that happened many years ago. It was called the go tell crusade. It was rooted in these very scriptures. It's a declaration though to us as we see these women there that a new age has come. A new kingdom has indeed dawned and it's one in which men and women who are both creating the image of God are equal before our God and Savior. It's a startling moment. And it's throughout the New Testament. The New Testament continues to affirm the fact that men and women are created equal. And they are one before God. Look what Paul says in Galatians 3 and 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. You are one in Christ Jesus. So we affirm as a church that men and women, yes, are all created in the image of God. But God's created us uniquely, and so therefore we have different gifts or abilities, even different roles in the church. But it's these women who God assigns, the angel assigns, to go and tell about the resurrection of his son. So could I ask the ladies today a question that if you show up tonight to community groups, you're going to be asked. Who have you shared the gospel with recently? Who have you shared the gospel with recently? Ladies, are you following the example that's set before us here in the Scriptures? To others, maybe 
because these ladies' status in our, their society didn't measure up. Maybe you're a person in this society that feels like you don't measure up. You, you maybe feel like God could never call somebody like you to preach or to be a missionary or to drive a bus or serve in children or youth or teach a Sunday school class or you could never sing in the choir or I mean, whatever it is because of what you've done or where you're from or your family background. Guys, this moment declares to us that there is a transformation of status. There's a transformation of our identity and it happens through the resurrection of Christ. Your worthiness is not seen in your last name, nor is it seen in your bank account. Your disqualification is not seen in what you've done in the past, but it is the glory and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of Christ that makes us, any of us, worthy. What hope this is. So the resurrection, it transforms our status. But the resurrection also, uh, jump it forward here. The resurrection also, it transforms our worship. Look what happens back again in verse 9. So Jesus appears to them. Behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And look what they do here. They came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. The statement is they took hold of his feet, right? And the indication is they've fallen before him, right? They've fallen down at his face, on their faces before him and taken hold of his feet as a king, one who's looking to the mercy and the grace of this great and powerful being. But this isn't the first time that we saw Christ treated this way. In fact, Matthew actually began his gospel this way. It was in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. When Jesus, soon after is born, we hear the story that there's these wise men, these men coming from the east, and they show up. And and verses 10 and 11 of Matthew 2 tell us this. When they saw the the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Did you hear it? There's great joy again. Just as the women have great joy, here there's great joy. Verse 11 of Matthew 2. And going into the house, the wise men go in. They saw the child with Mary's mother, and they do what? What do they do, church? They fell down and what? Worshipped him. Same thing the ladies did. It is this moment, right? This is the fitting response to our Savior. To fall on our faces and worship him. And I want to ask you, when's the last time you've been on your face before the Lord? This isn't just something that happens at Jesus' birth. This isn't just something that happens at Jesus' resurrection. Revelation chapter 4 gives us a glimpse of eternity. It has these 24 elders who I I believe represent the 12 uh, Old Testament tribes, right? The saints that have risen up from them. And then the 12 apostles there in the New Testament. So it's saying collectively this is the believers throughout all ages. And so that 24 elders is representative of them. And watch what they do. Watch what we'll do for all eternity. Revelation 4 verse 10. The 24 elders, that's what they do, fell down before him who was seated on the throne. And they do what? They worship him. The Magi did it. The women did it there at the empty tomb. And now Revelation says that's what we will do for all eternity. We will fall on our faces and just praise and honor and glorify him. What a moment. Why? Because we aren't worshiping a dead man. We're worshiping one who's conquered the grave. Yesterday morning in my reading, it was Psalm 92 verse 4. It says, for you, O Lord, have made me glad. You've made me glad by your work. At the works of your hand, I sing for joy. That statement there, it just it, it, it grabbed me this, just yesterday morning. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. And so I had some time yesterday morning with the kiddos, and we were riding, and I just said, guys, this was in my reading, Psalm 92, 4. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. And I said, why don't you guys just tell me a, a work that God's done? 
Maybe it's in the Bible or maybe something in your own life that just, it causes you to have joy and you want to sing and worship and praise in response. And, and let's just be honest. If Christ being crucified and raised for us on the third day does not stir our hearts to want to sing with joy, then we need to come with David and cry out, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Just acknowledge it today. I, I, sh- I would just ask maybe, how would you describe your typical singing here? Would you describe it as joyous? Maybe better yet with the people next to you? I'm not saying that you sound good. I'm just saying, is there a delight in your singing? Is there a joy in your singing? I've shared before, but man, it's been many years ago, but the Lord just deeply convicted my soul of how I would go back in the day when I was at UK, but even throughout just at different sporting events, and I would show up, man, and I would absolutely let it all out. I would leave a lot of times the stadium hoarse, barely able to talk. And the Lord just asked me, Blake, when is the last time you ever left church even needing a throat lozenge? When's the last time it was even just a little bit? Because there was so much passion and joy that you couldn't contain it. This is the heart, right? I mean, the joy, I sing for joy. Guys, do you feel like, and as you just be honest, given the analysis of your soul, do you sing for joy at the resurrection of your God? Is there joy in your soul? If there's not, then just be honest. You may need to repent just like I need to repent. God, forgive me. How could I be more pumped about UK basketball or some Green County sports or what my kids are doing than I could be my God defeating my sin and being raised that I would have hope that I would live forever? It's convicting, man. So the resurrection, it, 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 it transforms our status. The resurrection, it transforms our worship. And I think lastly, the resurrection transforms our hope. Look what happens here in verse 10. It's it's a simple statement we might have a tendency to miss. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell who? My brothers. To go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, Lord willing, if we show up, the Lord allows us to see next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about this statement. So I'm going to be brief, but I think it's a startling statement. Because the angel said, go and tell his disciples. But Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. And I, I, I just, I can't, I can't overlook it any more than when I hear the other gospel saying to us, go tell disciples and Peter to come and meet me. I, I think there's this moment in which my brothers is a moment of mercy. Like, can you imagine the lady said, he said, go and tell my brothers. They're like, what, go, go and what? So yeah, the angel said, go and tell his disciples. And then we met Jesus and he said, go and tell my brothers. And they're like, go, go and tell who? He called you guys my brothers. I, I, I just know what that would mean for my own soul, just being honest with you. That he would still call me brother. After my betrayals and denials and half-hearted worship and on it, my list is long. In this moment, my brothers, I mean, just, Jesus is just unlike me. I'll just be honest. He's unlike me. I mean, like when our kids like act up, I, I don't know about you, but like, maybe sometimes it's tongue in cheek, but sometimes I'm like telling him like, man, your son, right? Your daughter, right? You know what I usually mean by that? Like yeah, she ain't acting like daddy, right? That's your genetics playing out right there. 
But man, when our kids do good, we're like, oh, that's ours. That's fine. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right? I mean, that, that's our moment. But I think that's what makes it startling. Like, Jesus doesn't look like me. Praise God. Praise God for that. I mean, yes, we're called to follow Christ's example. And I pray that I live a holy and godly life. But guys, his heart is so merciful to us in our greatest rebellion and failures. He loves you. He loves you. You haven't performed well enough and you never will. Neither will I. My brothers. I mean, it's just this, I think it's a, it's a hope moment. He calls us brothers. It's a moment of mercy that we all need to hear. There's a God who doesn't stop loving us when we've had a bad day or a bad week or a bad season. That adultery, that addiction, the lies, the gossip, the fake worship, it won't stop God from loving you. Whoa! I mean, oh, George Jones, he sang that song, and I, I hear George, he, he sings, he, he stopped loving her today. And I get it, he loved her to the end, but but I want to tell George, there's somebody greater than that man's love. There's a God who loved us in, unto death, yes, but there's a God who loved us in death. And there's a God who still loves us after death, and his name is Jesus. Man, he'll never stop loving you. I could say more there, but man, I just, I think maybe after hearing all this, we got to wonder like, who could reject that? Who could refuse that? And I think that's maybe what's so startling about as Matthew closes out his last snapshot of the Jewish religious people. And it's this, we get this statement, the rejection of the resurrection. So we've heard about the declaration of the resurrection. We've seen the transformation of the resurrection, but finally we hear the rejection of of the resurrection verses 11 through 15 of matthew 28 so the the ladies leave and matthew says while they're going behold some of the guard went in the city so these these guys who have been like dead men wake back up and told the chief priest all they're taking place and when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were still asleep or while we were asleep And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this has been spread among the Jews to this day. The guards return back, right? They they tell them, hey, listen, guys. I mean, this was startling, right? We we read it back in Matthew 27, right? They they went and told Pilate, listen, this, this crazy lunatic said that after he was dead on the third day, he was going to rise again. And he's like, this last fraud of this imposter will be more deceiving than the first. And, and now these guys who were charged to guard the tomb show up and they tell that very thing has happened. And we might hear it and think, man, what religious people do? And this is what they do. L-I-E. They lie. They lie. I mean, we would think, surely, man, why don't they go to the tomb? And these are the people that have been waiting for the Messiah. They've seen all of his miracles, all that he's done. They've seen the way in which he died. It's unlike anyone else. And now he's raised from the dead. This is, I mean, but they don't. Can you imagine being so consumed with your religion and self-righteousness that you miss the resurrection of Christ happening right in front of your eyes? I think, unfortunately, we have to admit that we're much more like the religious leaders than we want to, we want to acknowledge. We hear the gospel taught and preached to us. We hear the daily hope in our own Bible reading alone. 
And yet we so often close this book and we aren't transformed by it. Why? I think for them and for us, the answer is it's often too costly. I mean, that's what he says in verse 14. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Furthermore, if they affirm this, it's going to cost them their status, their way of life in the temple. I mean, the the, the religious system's out the door. The sacrifices are done. And so is their false security and believing that somehow their outward good works are what actually makes them acceptable to God. I think for us, it's similar. Following Jesus brings trouble. Like, what do you do when the Bible says something that doesn't square with your life? Do you humbly submit and bow under it, or do you reject it and say, I'll have none of that? To the unbeliever today, might I ask, what's keeping you from believing? Why are you rejecting the resurrected Christ? Some of you here today, maybe you think, I just need more proof. Like, if, if I could get some type of sign that I would just be able to know... Remember, though, back in Matthew 27, when Jesus is on the cross in verse 42, they, the religious leader said this statement, come down from the cross and then we will what? Do you remember? We will believe in you. Guess what? He's done something greater than come down from the cross. He's come out from the grave. And they're still rejecting and refusing it. It's as Paul says, the Jews seek signs and Gentiles want wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to us who are being saved, this is the very power of God. It's a foolish story, one that may get you laughed at in your family or on your job, but beloved, that doesn't mean it's not true. It's the only hope and way of salvation. So for some of you, again, you're continuing to wait. You just need this more sign, this more sign. Man, I'll just be honest, they had the greatest sign and they miss it. What we need to do is cry out, Oh God, open my eyes to see the truth. There's a God who can raise your dead life and deliver you from a life of dead works to live for His Son. Today, to the unbeliever, I pray and hope that you will trust in Christ. To the church, by the Lord's grace and providence, Emily and I have been here for 16 years now. And you know what that's meant? Alongside Brother Todd and other faithful brothers that have served here, we've had the opportunity to stand beside you at the caskets, in tombs or graves of those that you love. And I want to say to you today tenderly that what is now will not always be. What is now, sting of death, will not always be. It says we sing this morning because of Christ. There's no guilt in life. There's no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Lastly, I want to say something to those today here who are hopeless. To those who feel like you'll never get better. You may feel like your diagnosis is just too much. The addiction's always going to rule that child or grandchild or that person that you love and care about. Maybe depression has so wrecked your heart that you feel like, man, the sun will never shine again. I think it's important that maybe just for a brief moment, we ask, how does the New Testament interpret the resurrection of Christ? And it does in all kinds of ways, but I want to just show you one. It's in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is up preaching, telling about Jesus Christ, who was crucified, buried, but he says that he wasn't, he didn't stay dead, he was raised. And he cites Psalm 16, verse 11, that says this. 
You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter says, God was faithful. He didn't abandon his son. And guys, because God didn't abandon his son in death, he won't abandon you or I who are in Christ either. Hallelujah. And so my point is, if he's faithful to us in the darkest of moment, in the moment of death, will he not also be faithful to us in the lighter moments that we struggle with in this life? He will. He will. He did not abandon his son to the grave. He did not let him see corruption. And for us who are in Christ, Christ's resurrection is the promise that we who are in Christ too, we will be raised. Hallelujah. Let the church say amen. That is our hope. We are Sunday morning resurrection people. It's who we are. But I know that reality is we still live in a fallen and broken world. And so to the hopeless today, I mean, I would love just to tenderly put my arm around you and say, let's go to the tomb together. Let's just remind ourselves that what is now will not always be. And so today is maybe a declaration of our hope. I, I want to do something just a little bit different as we close. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read today just some different groups of people. And some of you have lost the group of people that I'm going to say. But you have hope today because of Christ's resurrection that you will see them again. And so when I read off that group of people and that applies to your life, I'm going to ask you to please stand. To those in this room today who have lost a spouse and you hope that one day you'll see them again, would you please stand? Take it in for a moment, church. These are the widows and widowers among us. Please stay standing for a moment. To those in this room who have lost a child and you have the hope and the resurrection that you will see them again, would you please stand? To those in this room who have lost a grandchild, would you please stand? those in this room who have lost a child through miscarriage, would you please stand? To those in this room who have lost a parent, would you please stand? To those in this room who have lost a grandparent, would you please stand? To those in this room who have lost a brother or sister, would you please stand? To those in this room who have lost an aunt or an uncle, a niece or a nephew, or a cousin, would you please stand? To those in this room who have lost a friend, would you please stand? I think the reality is, as you look around, we all are hoping for the resurrection. That there is coming another day. When the dead in Christ... We'll hear the trumpet of God and the voice, the shout of the archangel. And the Lord Himself will descend for all of His holy ones and He will be raised in the air to be with Him. And it says that we 
who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep, but the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will be raised in the air to meet Him. And so, listen to what Paul says. Listen to what he says. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen! This all happens because the tomb is empty. Our God has robbed the grave. He has defeated death in our sin. His name is Jesus. Let the church say amen and worship Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as they stand in this room, there's hearts, Lord. I saw their faces. Of spouses, children, grandchildren, of children they've never met, miscarriages in the womb, of nieces or nephews or aunts or uncles or cousins or friends. Lord, and I'm sure there's some in this room I overlooked. But Father, today, because of Your Son, Jesus, for those who are in Christ, we will see them again. And yet, Lord, that word hits like a hammer because we realize there are some that we have lost in Christ. They're not in Christ. Ah, Lord, it's sickening. And I just pray that it would drive us further to share the gospel with our family, with our friends, and with the nations to declare them there is a God who is victorious. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Would you rise and worship? This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.